know what that means. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. No, it's not. It's it gets gross. the people going. It's it's no, that's enough! back. Welcome to the Radio DePaul podcast. This is episode 72, Modern Art. A couple of things have changed since last year. First of all, hello, I am Amy Doe. And my name is John Cotter. We are the new senior producers of the podcast. This episode focuses on contemporary art. A lot of people are confused about it, and it's something that we didn't have a proper appreciation for before recording this piece. With that being said, let's jump right in. Our first interview is from the Expo Chicago offices, where I had the chance to speak with Stephanie Cristello. I walked into the Expo Chicago offices half an hour early in the middle of a birthday celebration. I was there to speak with somebody who would teach me the ropes on what contemporary art is and how to appreciate it. Um, my name is Stephanie Cristello. I'm the director of programming for Expo Chicago and also the editor-in-chief of The Scene, Chicago's international journal for contemporary and modern art. Expo is a contemporary art fair on an unprecedented scale. It has 135 galleries hailing from 27 countries and 63 cities from around the world. And Stephanie is in charge of organizing various other extra programs from panel discussions to in-situ art exhibits. Long story short, she knows a lot about art. She started by giving me a lesson on the difference between contemporary and modern art. Modern refers to an entire art historical framework of what's defined as the modern period, so it's really mid-20th century and before. To clarify, the Encyclopedia Britannica says modern art is that which was created in the hundred-year period between 1860 and 1960, and it was called modern because it didn't build on what came before or rely on the teachings of various historical art academies. Contemporary art is what came after that period, so anything vaguely starting toward the 60s and onward. So modern is really pre-1960, and contemporary, there's sort of a loose, you know, between 1960 to 1970. Expo Chicago is made up mostly of contemporary art. 85%, 90% is what we have at the fair. So it, it really is work being made by living artists, um, working today. Another key distinction between modern and contemporary art was a shift in focus away from aesthetic beauty to the underlying concept of the work. The process the artist went through to create the piece and the intent behind it is sometimes valued more in contemporary art than the beauty of the end result. It's a provocation. There is a lot of, of work that we're doing, especially in the public sector and um, you know around the city with exhibitions that really question what it means to look at an artwork now and what those contexts could be. For example, one of the exhibitions that we are curating this year is called Override, a billboard project. Okay. Override is pretty difficult to explain, but easy to imagine. Think of yourself sitting in a car on the highway. It's 
pretty normal day, maybe traffic is bad and God is a woman by Ariana Grande is in fact playing on the radio. You look up and suddenly see that the billboard that just had a casino ad on it is now dominated by an aerial photo of a beach, slowly being taken over by billowing clouds of purple smoke. The resolution of the photo is so high you can almost see it move, and the color almost bleeds into the blue of the sky behind it, and now it's back to an ad for ED medication. We commissioned 12 artists to uh, essentially have an artwork on the billboards, on all of the digital billboards throughout the city. So for someone coming in for the art fair, they will make a mission to go and find a billboard and view the exhibition. But for someone that's driving along the freeway and sees you know, a beautiful artwork that is just interrupting their advertising experience, they might come away with something completely different. This kind of removal from the everyday space and incorporating art into context that it would otherwise not be expected is a huge part of the contemporary movement. We're hoping that that experience is something that stays with them. And I would say that that is really the whole mission of Expo as a whole to make an experience for everyone that, that lasts far longer than those four days. Even though Expo is such a short festival, the scope of it is huge. From high-end collectors to people like me who are just beginning to appreciate contemporary art, there's something for everybody. Expo is an international art exposition. It's very accessible in that way, but also for collectors, you know, you can buy a $10,000 artwork, which is a very affordable range for art, I know. Um, or it can go all the way up to $4 million. So there's a lot of commerce that takes place within this week. And, all, you know, these things happen simultaneously. And there's something really nice about that. The sheer size of the event as a whole helps you gain a real insight into what kind of progress is being made in the art world. There's all of these aspects of the exposition where if you're not a collector at all, you can enjoy it. You can see fantastic art from all of these international galleries. For someone that comes to the fair, what we're hoping happens for them is that they think about the world a little bit differently. And maybe art is an avenue for them to do that. Now that we have a better understanding of what contemporary art is and the multitude of ways to appreciate it, let's go look at some pieces that can better explain its relevancy within the art scene and our own lives. The Museum of Contemporary Art's newest exhibit, I Was Raised on the Internet, explores art's effect on the internet and vice versa, as well as how the internet has been changing the way we experience information, communication, entertainment, and each other. Okay, let me know. Yeah, you just have to talk into it. Closely, or? That's like right here. Okay. John and I recently took a trip to the Museum of Contemporary Art. We were fortunate enough to speak with Nina Wexelblatt, the assistant curator of the museum's most recent exhibition, I Was Raised on the Internet. My name is Nina Wexelblatt. I'm a curatorial assistant here at the MCA Chicago. I've always really been interested in art. Um, I'm not an artist myself. I um, come from back a background of studying literature. I've always been really interested in thinking about texts as a way of understanding the world. I went for the Takashi Murakami exhibit in the past, mainly just out of my interest to buy a t-shirt. But this was the first time I think I've been to any art museum. Like, I always consider myself interested in art as a medium of 
entertainment, I guess. Contemporary art has always seemed difficult to me. Trying to look at an often extremely abstract or really conceptual piece feels like I'm flipping ahead in a math textbook and looking at an equation I've never seen before. But this show felt different. Let me set the scene. The exhibit almost takes up the entirety of the museum's third floor and is made up of a cacophony of screens, paintings, piles of photographs, and couches draped in metallic fabric, with people lining up to hear the techno music that accompanies the 3D animated undulating tower of people. <laughs> Multimodal and interactive, it's not like any exhibition I've seen before. So what's going on? This looks like somebody got very upset. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly what's happening. This is a work called My Generation by Eva and Franco Mattis. And it is a destroyed desktop computer, kind of um, outdated computer with keyboards smashed and the speakers strewn on the floor. And uh, everything is kind of a mess. And the monitor's sideways. And there's a video playing on the monitor um, where adolescent boys, teens, young men film themselves playing video games. And then when they lose, or when they die in the game, they get so angry that they smash their computers. And this is a whole trend. People watch these videos. They're totally uh, entertained by them. I'm one of those people. I, you watch them or you them. film yourself? No, I watch them. <laughs> There's something so interesting about watching people get so incredibly upset at a video game and you can sit there and watch them and think oh they're gonna break their keyboard because of this game that's stupid but if you haven't played that game or like haven't had that experience because i've had experiences where i've been so into a certain video game that i just threw my controller and it broke one time and throwing in real world implications like that to a video game can make the emotions that much more realistic while I've never made these raging videos, it's kind of interesting to think almost how the people recording these raging videos don't think that they're making art and they're sort of unintentionally making art. And then when you pull the artists into this who are making this piece, they're intentionally making art out of this unintentional art. And that's just like a really cool dynamic to think about. It's interesting because it kind of shows that there is a lot of collaboration that's going on, not only in art, but especially in art in the age of the Internet. I think that's what's really interesting about it. And the exhibit really showed that off very well, too. The thing that I like to think about is the way that art and art practice and artists are part of our world. They're thinking about the same things that we think about in contemporary life as we go through the world. And they're using the world around us, the world that we all live in together, and reflecting that in their work. I think there are a lot of preconceived notions about it being um, inaccessible. The most important things that I find about um, in appreciating art or you know thinking about it as something that's really important is that it can be this experience that's totally subjective. We've been getting a lot of visitors um, kind of of all ages who have engaged with it in different ways. It's interesting to see how younger patrons engage with it who really have grown up with the internet and some of these things feel totally second nature to them. Um, and our older visitors also are really really engaged. Everyone is finding ways that this exhibition and the art in the exhibition is helping them see things that they might have taken for granted or expose them to things that they might not have ever understood about the internet. Okay, so we try to make it as, as accessible as possible for people. That's why I loved going to the museum because I had never 
experienced something like that. But I've never really taken such an active role in trying to understand something that I maybe wasn't familiar with. And I think that the exhibit that they did this time was just so, I guess you could say, engaging to someone like me because I consider myself the target demographic for not only the people that they want there, but the people that they're talking about as well. A lot of the works in the show are made by collaborators, and that feels very contemporary to me. The idea that a lot of people are coming together to create something together is kind of what the entire internet is. It wouldn't exist if there weren't millions and millions of people all contributing images and videos. So to me, the exhibition kind of mirrors that in the way that it is so many artists who all have such different backgrounds who are all coming together to address very different facets of the same kind of thing. What she talks about with the idea of collaboration is something that I can really relate to because, I mean, like I've been working with you and like I never met you before. But like, you know, there are these experiences that I would never have if it wasn't for me being in this context in this space, which makes me like when thinking about that within the context of the art museum is like how many people would never have known that rage videos existed if it wasn't for that art piece in that space, you know, or when you're listening to a song and you hear a sample of something and you're like, wow, I really love that sample. Where's that from? And then you find a whole new song that you really like, you know? This piece and this experience made me just think more about how interconnected everything is and how if you follow the trains of what you're interested in, you can end up in like this whole new world. So these two images next to each other are part of a series called Jennifer in Paradise by the artist Constant Dull Art. And you can see that they're lenticular prints. So when you start at one angle, it looks, uh, the photograph looks one way. And as you walk around it, it changes and these filters are applied. So it's almost like you're applying these Photoshop filters in real time. And that's really fitting because the story behind this, it's an image of a woman lounging on a tropical beach looking out into an island in the distance. This image is actually the very first image that was ever manipulated in Photoshop. So the inventor of Photoshop took this photograph of his wife on the beach and loaded it into the floppy disks that you would get when you first purchased the very first issue of Photoshop. So you could play around with it kind of as a sample but it went out of circulation when floppy disks became obsolete. And Constant Dollar, who in his practice engages with a lot of technology, realized that this image, because of how ubiquitous Photoshop is, it touches every single image we see basically in popular media. He was like, this is an important part of media history. This is an important part of art history. The fact that this image exists and he couldn't find it anywhere. So he meticulously reconstructed the images from really low-fi, like low-res versions of this image. He constructed a really high-res version of it, like pixel by pixel. And in those pixels, he encoded a kind of love letter that he wrote to this imaginary woman sitting on the beach. And it's encoded into the information in the digital image. So it's not visible on the surface. And then after he did all of this, then he went in and applied the most generic Photoshop filters. <laughs> He's kind of, you know, like a trickster, like a prankster. And it's supposed to be funny. Like he did this really high tech thing, manipulating this image, reconstructing it from nothing. And it's this really art historically significant image. And then he kind of played a joke at the end and applied these filters that you can also apply and unapply as you're walking around it. 
when explaining and talking through these pieces, Nina's enthusiasm is so infectious. The positive attitude that she has about the growth of art and the way the internet and modern or contemporary art intersect is magical to listen to. But she also is very much conscious of the fact that not all of the internet is good. Navigating the morally gray area of the internet is something that artists also struggle with. A piece within the gallery that physically represents this duality is the Autonomy Cube. It's called Autonomy Cube by Trevor Paglin. When you approach it, it looks kind of just like a box, like a clear box with some gadgetry, maybe some computer circuits inside of it. But it's much more than what you see when you first walk up. The Autonomy Cube is a node in a network called TOR, which stands for the Onion Router. It's a way for people to browse the internet completely anonymously. So this object, even though it looks just like a sculpture, is actually emitting a Wi-Fi signal. So if you go on your phone inside of the gallery, you can actually log on to the Wi-Fi signal that this is giving off. And once you do that, you are put onto this completely anonymous network, and it scrambles your location. It works by creating these nodes all over the world where you can access the internet, but it will seem like you're somewhere else, and it totally scrambles where you are. So your identity is no longer attached to the things that you do online. The technology itself is neutral. I understand this. But while looking at this piece, looking at this node of Tor, I feel all of these things going through my mind of hitmen or drugs or prostitution or human trafficking, just all of the things that the dark web are connected with is embodied by this innocuous looking little, little Lego block type thing. It's funny how something so physical can represent something so virtual. So now, because we have this operating in the galleries right now, the museum is actually one of the nodes in this network. This is more than just a single object, it's actually a networked object entirely. Um, so thinking about other kinds of objects, it's interesting to me to think about the ways that what you see is actually a very, very small part of what the project actually is. That's what's so cool about contemporary art. The ideas that the artists are grappling with are so much larger than the limits of the actual piece itself. When looking at something like the Autonomy Cube, it makes you shift your whole mindset about what you're thinking of and cast your awareness out into, well, where could this lead? Where could this go? How many people are actually interacting with this piece that I am also interacting with in this moment? I like imagining that people who are logging onto tours somewhere else in the world could appear to be inside of the MCA. <laughs> That's not to say that pieces like the Autonomy Cube aren't controversial. I've osmosed through pop culture that the dark web and tour are used largely for illicit activities. The dark web has always had this forbidden criminal connotation. I think it's a totally double-edged sword, and that's really what he's getting at. This is not necessarily a celebration of this network. It makes you think about the ways that there are flip sides to everything that happens in all of these conversations, these super, super con contemporary conversations that are happening about the role of technology and different facets of it. For example, anonymity and the idea of using something like Tor, like you said, can be used for things on the dark web, it can be used for all kinds of things go on um, 
when there's no accountability to someone's identity. But at the same time, these are the ways that dissidents in countries where speech is being restricted can communicate with each other. Um, there are ways that more free expression can happen outside of the realm of surveillance. The technology itself does not determine the way that you use it, um, but it's really there are a lot of social implications um, and ethical implications that I think this piece is really exploring. If you weren't told what those pieces were, you would have no idea what would be going on. When someone provides the context behind it, it makes it that much more interesting. I've always been attracted to curatorial work because it is exactly that. It's creating context for seeing. It's creating context for um, having experiences with objects. What it means to bring them together, what it means to look or read two things at once in, and juxtaposing them. Context is such a powerful thing. Seeing objects that I interact with every day and concepts that I just accept as a part of my life presented to me in an art museum makes me look at and think about all of the things that I do in my daily life in a way that's a little bit different. Even if it's just a painting, uh, even if it's just something, a sculpture on a pedestal, you're always interacting with it and getting something out of it just by looking. There isn't a right way to go through the museum. There isn't a right way um, to understand or decode a piece of art. I would hope that people would come away with a new understanding of the way that the internet and networks and digital communication has changed fundamentally the way that we see. A huge thank you to Nina Wexelblatt and Carla Loring from the Museum of Contemporary Art. The exhibition, I Was Raised on the Internet, is on view until October 14th and is free to Illinois residents every Tuesday. Thank you also to Stephanie Cristello and the entire Expo team. Expo Chicago runs from September 27th to the 30th on Navy Pier. Photos of both exhibitions and ticket links are all available on our Facebook. Just search the Radio DePaul podcast. This podcast was made by John Cotter and Amy Doe with production assistance and general guidance from Doug Klain. If you like today's show, please rate and review us if you're listening on SoundCloud and iTunes. It helps us make the show even better, and it helps new listeners find the show. Episodes are coming out every two weeks this year, so subscribe or download the Radio DePaul app to keep up with new releases. Thank you for listening to the Radio DePaul podcast.